Welcome to No Clip, the podcast that's like a book club for people who think that books don't reward them enough for being good at them. I'm Chad Rothermans. And I'm Andy Kinnick. And today, we're going to be talking about Resident Evil 7, colon, Biohazard. Uh, but first, if you could give us a like or a rating, it would be greatly appreciated. Resident Evil 7 uh, is a game that was released in 2017, developed by Capcom, and was released on PC, PS4, and Xbox One, and we found an interesting tidbit about it being released as a cl- as the cloud version, uh, streaming to Nintendo Switches only in Japan. Yeah, I remember uh, it was weird to read that because they had it published someone published a a news article about them releasing like cloud games to switch like years ago but then it i feel like it never happened (laughs) at least in america Mm -hmm. uh and this was a a weird reminder that that was indeed a thing (laughs) yeah it was one of those things that got tried and i bet just wasn't successful enough to continue doing Mm -hmm. um resident evil 7 is a survival horror game uh, as it being an entry in the resident evil franchise probably tipped off but notably if you've played all the resident evil games in a row in order then you'll notice that there's this dip at around resident evil 4 where the franchise starts to lose a bit of its like survival horror roots mm-hmm. uh and dips into being more of like an action series with a lot of very large guns and rocket launchers and uh, a lot of of like set pieces and things like that mm-hmm. and resident evil 7 was even as it was like being announced it, the goal of development in this game was to bring the game back to how survival horror was back when the first like couple of games in the series came out and i upon the replay with this in mind and knowing that i was going to have to talk about the game Uh uh-huh uh am incredibly surprised at what a good job they did of striking that balance between a modern sensibility and that like late 90s survival horror uh sort of like genre tropes yeah um i think and this is just like a semantic thing, but like to me, it reads more as they wanted to modernize the series and they looked at like modern horror games. And it seems like they looked to things like Outlast or mm-hmm. like Amnesia and things of that nature and tried to make a game in that style. And they've like added in these pick and shows elements from uh, like the first three Resident Evil games to like incorporate into the design in such a way that i i love the result mm-hmm. like i think it, it all meshes really well and it was um having played the demo a bunch when it came out it was like surreal almost to play this full game <laughs> and have it not step stop after the first hour yeah yeah the, the we actually did this is this is one of the rare occurrences like the only other time this could possibly happen based on our current catalog is if Silent Hills actually came out or, or Final Fantasy 15. <laughs> oh, did, well no, did we talk about a demo of Final Fantasy 15? No, 15? I was just saying we played it though uh, before right. it came out. 
I'm thinking like you could go back and listen to our impressions about the demo of this game. Mm, okay. Uh, though I don't recommend it because that episode has this clicking noise. It literally happened four years ago and it's been bothering me ever since. I think having now done some audio editing myself that it's a noise removal thing. We could have removed it. No, I mean, it was caused removal. by it. Like, I don't know exactly what it is, but sometimes when you run noise removal, it'll add in this little clicking noise. So that's why you always got to, like, listen to a s- decent chunk of it after you remove noise to make sure nothing got fucked up. I'm pretty sure what actually happened was I had brought a stove into the room we were recording uh, in and was trying to turn it on. <laughs> the whole time. The whole <laughs> like, You guys are going to love uh, this pizza that I'm going to bake for you. <laughs> But anyway, <laughs> once we're done recording this podcast, <laughs> enough behind the scenes. Yeah. Um, but yeah, so we did play the demo and the demo came out. And when the demo came out, uh, very unfortunately for them, uh, it came out very close to PT's release. And so a lot of people thought that Resident Evil 7 was a game that was informed, including us. We talked about this on the, on that episode um, that was going to be informed by how successful PT was and like how well received it was. Mm-hmm. And while I can't specifically say that that isn't the case or that that or that they were influenced, uh, because in all likelihood it's probably a mix of both. Mm-hmm. But it isn't the same in that way, and I feel like you cannot remove the Resident Evil DNA from this game. Yeah, I think I read that this game was in development for at least a year when PT, uh, the demo, came out. So uh, I think it's just a coincidence. Mm -hmm. Like, I'm sure a little bit of influence wormed its way in there after the release of PT and how popular it was. Yeah. But it feels mostly like its own thing. Yeah, and, and this game is like... You mentioned that it, it seems like it took some inspiration from, uh, like, what were popular horror games at the time in the form of Amnesia and Outlast and, and, mm-hmm. and things of that nature. And very much like when a big company takes a thing that smaller companies are doing and tries to put their version on it. They also gave it a stupid-ass name because on the back of the box they refer to having a first-person camera. Something that's been being done in video games since the dawn of time Mm -hmm. as isolation view, (laughs) which means nothing. I'm sure that that was a marketing department thing. Yeah, it was. What's a spicy thing that we could call this? (laughs) Why not just call it what it actually is? They're like, nah, fuck that isolation (laughs) view. But before we get too far away with it uh, from it, I kind of want to... Wanted to start by actually talking about the demo, mm. unless that sounds unappealing and boring to you. I mean, as long as we're not retreading, I think I'm fine yeah. with it. Yeah, it seems uh, interesting to revisit because it's been so long since we played slash talked about it. Um, but yeah, we mentioned that we like played this multiple times. Like, it's one of those, like, I don't usually like demos, but I think. And I mentioned the Final Fantasy XV one, like the Platinum demo. Mm-hmm. I know a lot of people didn't like that, like because it isn't very representative of what the final product is like. But I really loved that demo, and I really loved the beginning hour demo for this game because I think they provide their own like unique experience that almost feels like its own standalone thing. Yeah, and I don't know how much more effort that takes um, because, like in the in the case of Final Fantasy, it felt like 
they made everything they made for that demo more or less like from scratch or they like took jigsaw pieces from other places in the game and like jammed them all together for that demo and in this case it feels like it was on the front end where they like designed the beginning of it to be able to be chopped off and released yeah. as a demo as a vertical slice yeah like as yeah. on it on its own and i think both approaches work and are i think super effective in at least for someone like me like capturing my interest yeah beginning hour is a great like demo for the reason that it doesn't it doesn't like hazard to offer like a taste of what the whole game is like it gives you i mean there's there are arguments to be made about how the game is but i think that it takes part of the best part of the game and then just hands it to you and be like you know you want to keep doing this mm-hmm. so it definitely is successful as like an advertising strategy i do want to say they i am a little bit disappointed how much of it is just wholesale in the beginning of this game like i realize that it's called beginning hour so it is exactly what it says on the tin mm-hmm. but it is like basically you start this game and then eventually you put in a videotape that might as well be called the demo to this game uh-huh. and then you put that into a a, a, v, a vcr and play the demo again um but the cool thing is that if you played the demo you can remember with your big brain mm-hmm. that there's the lever underneath the fireplace and so you actually don't have to play it again which is my a plus favorite thing about the demo ah. is that it gives you that little it's like there's a little bit of carryover did you actually do that yeah oh uh, see i went and looked and did not see a prompt to pull the lever mm-hmm. so i thought they actually blocked you from doing that no because i wasn't able to do it i've played through this game i've played through this game fully twice uh-huh and i have played the first hour of this game outside of the demo probably like six times Mm -hmm. or watched other people play it i don't know how that keeps happening but (laughs) i i would like boot the game up to play it again after i played it when it came out and i'd play a little bit of it save quit and then just never come back to it Mm -hmm. um so yeah there (laughs) there's been a number of times but i always uh Normally I do watch the tape, but this most recent mm-hmm. time I was trying to fight motion sickness, so I did not. <laughs> yeah. I mean, it had been so long since I'd done it, I probably just looked in slightly the wrong place, but mm. who knows? Yeah. No, it is there, and you can you can grab it. Yeah, but um, anyway, so you mentioned that right off the bat, um, in the first hour of the game, they get into one of my favorite things about uh, Resident Evil 7, which is the found footage uh, VHS tapes. Yeah. Um, so you'll find these tapes and then there will be random TVs with VCRs, um, where you can watch them. And when you put them on, you you actually play through this like found footage thing and they use them really cleverly because they give you information about your surroundings. Mm. Um, and it, I love the concept so much. Like, I feel like you could even focus in even more on that concept and make a game that revolves more specifically around that, like doing some stuff in one timeline getting a tape, getting more info to progress, uh, and you kind of jump back and forth. But, uh, yeah, I just I love the implementation. Yeah, I agree. I think that the, the VHS tapes are, like, a really good inclusion as a way to sort of break up the like the main parts of the game the the trick with resident evil 7 and i'm going to say that and i what i mean by that is the trick 
in all old Resident Evil games as well, mm-hmm. is that the environment is actually very small. Um, you can get around to a lot of places very quickly. Um, and so the the design goal, and I will parlay this into a talk about level design later, uh-huh. um, but the the areas are really small, and because you can move around them so quickly, the intricacy of everything inside of them has to be really high in order to make sure that the game, like, you know, is a challenge, has something for you to do in it. And the videotapes are a great way to insert like a 10 to 20 minute little vignette of a thing to do in a single room, reusing other assets that they use in other parts of the game. Um, And so it accomplishes like a whole bunch of different little goals. So in addition to being thematically very cool uh, and, and like look interesting and do interesting things, it's also like a great little like game design technique to like preview other areas and things that you're going to do and everything else about it and uh i don't know i yeah i love them i think they're great uh and they make great use of the the first person camera like they mm-hmm. have an excuse for them i guess which is positive yeah and like you're explicitly playing a cameraman for like a ghost adventure style tv show for the very first one yeah. which is a nice touch i think mm-hmm yeah, and like uh, in Mia's, she has a camera because she's trying to like record a message to get it to Ethan. Mm-hmm. And then in the the birthday one, presumably Lucas just fitted you with a camera so that he could observe your like results. Yeah, I feel like he mentions it mm-hmm. that he's put like a like a GoPro on your head or something like that. <laughs> right, probably with a bomb attached to it or yeah. some dumb shit. Uh, <laughs> but yeah, so. That's to to segue from what I was talking about a little bit earlier. I think that part of what this game borrows from the early Resident Evil games is that intricate level design. And when I started this game for the first time and played through it, I remember saying, like, this is weird. Like, you go in this area and then you fall into, like, some water and then you wade through the water and then you're in this, like, underground network of things. And then the further you get in the game, you realize how interconnected everything is. And, like, I was, de- I definitely thought that the Baker household was, like, a TARDIS situation. Like, <laughs> way bigger on the inside than it needed to be. Mm-hmm. Uh, but when you look at the map and you look at what you can physically see, everything actually does fit together. And it's really clever at times where different rooms in the basement will be a wall away from other areas and so when they get broken down you can move between them so there's lots of like shortcut opening and uh like little traversal things find the key elevator down to firelink shrine get like uh the key cards to get into the uh into lucas's area Mm -hmm. that kind of a thing and and it's really like that I appreciated that way more than I anticipated that I was going to, even that though the game is kind of separated into three sections. Yeah, it's very like um, Metroid uh, Prime, like very like 3D Metroidvania kind mm-hmm. of in its design. And I'm a big slut for that, especially <laughs> in like, uh, I think it fits really well in a horror game, like having a one location. Mm-hmm. There's a couple different houses, but like it's one like family property. Um, that's just really dense and, uh, like woven together. Like that's like my favorite kind of level design in, in most games. Um, and they do it really well here. 
and I think it's clever because it feels like the each different house or like section of the game feels like it's hearkening back to like a different element of Resident Evil. Like the first, like the main house feels a lot like the like a condensed simplified version of like the mansion from the first game right and the second or the the third house or wherever that area is uh that's the resident evil 4 house <laughs> it's the one that's filled with traps it's got all the trip wires mm-hmm. uh, and it was really cool to like see that pop up i'm like oh they're this is how they're incorporating this like i recognize that mm-hmm. um yeah and like I, I had something for the second house but now i'm blanking on it <laughs> Well, the second house really is very close to um, the the design of the first house in, like, a lot of ways. It has the same sort of, like, interconnected up and down. It's just a lot more linear, and they're the outdoor yeah, areas. It, it's not as focused on, like, the like the lock and key style puzzles mm-hmm. like the first house is. It's more like you're being stalked. Yeah. So you can maybe compare that to Resident Evil 2, because you got, like, the enemy that stalks you through the whole thing. But yeah. it's kind of loose, but... It's more like, I want to say it's more combat focused, but it's mostly just kind of like swarms of bugs flying at you, so. (laughs) Which is technically combat in some ways. Uh, Yeah, I actually, so we're going to jump directly into spoilers on this one. Oh, yeah. uh, If you were unaware, this is a spoiler riddled podcast. Yeah. Uh, But this leaves this odd man out, right, that we're not talking about called a big fucking boat. Oh, right. We're getting into it already. Huh? I, <laughs> I thought we would save it for later. No, I mean, we'll talk about everything else about it later. Okay. But the boat is dumb as hell uh, as far as, like... The, the boat is the clearest example of padding that this game has, I think. Like, Yeah, I don't think it would even be as bad if it wasn't so long. Yeah. It's, the, it's like, the longest part of the game, and it's the least cleverly designed of mm-hmm. all of them. It's just... It's a lot of back and forth. Yeah, an elevator and three floors that have actual exploration to do. Mm-hmm. It, it feels like the game wrapped up, and then somebody playtested it, and they were like, oh, I got through... That was, like, five hours. Like, what are we going to do? And so they added, like, another boss fight and a whole other area uh, to try and, like, drag it out for longer. It felt very, like... I mean, it feels very Resident Evil, if I'm being, like, real honest <laughs> with you. Like, putting that shit at the end, like, that felt like the the military base island in Resident mm. Evil 4, where it just feels really out of place, and, like, the zombies are using stun batons. The, this game's version is, there's a, a creepy girl. I don't know. You get a machine gun. Yeah, like, and the thing is, is like, I don't think it really needed to be because like I can imagine a version of it that's good because like it's a surprise and if it had been more like quick and more of like a set piece and less running around uh, at the beginning you have like no weapons you know like it's just kind of okay uh, let's get to the point here let's wrap it up let's wrap know, it put, up put the red light on in the back mm-hmm. uh <laughs> Yeah, it's weird that that is there. But everything in the main house is really good. And it, it kind of plays into what my overall... I have, like, a big heaping pile on one side of the scales, weighing it down heavily on one side, of things that I think this game does really incredibly well. And then I have this one pretty dense morsel on the other side that's, like, the Capcom baggage. Uh-huh. Right, that's just like sitting there, and the boat is like 
a big part of it. Uh, the fact that it it's like the boat and then the cave afterward, where they're just like, we gotta we have to incorporate Umbrella into this somehow. Mm-hmm. And so here's a bunch of documents to read, and Mia has like a weird secret backstory where she's a member of like a shady government organization who's trying to get this virus, bioweapons, and all that shit. And it's like, you could just leave it vague. Like, there would be people who would be angry about it, but, like, mm-hmm. fuck those people. <laughs> yeah. I, I think I agree it would be better if they treated this more like its own IP and didn't really get into that stuff, mm-hmm. but I was expecting it, like, at oh, yeah. every moment. Because especially, like, the demo had, like, a manila folder that you could find. With the Umbrella with Corporation a, uh, logo yeah, on it. On a helicopter. Mm-hmm. Like, uh, there's a picture of it. Um, so I was just waiting for that drop <laughs> at any moment. And I was actually really pleased that they didn't get into it till, like, the end. Yeah, and I mean, yeah, more power to them. Because the more that the beginning part of this game can stand on its own, I think the better this game looks in retrospect. Yeah. Uh, the the end of this game feels like they just needed to plug in everything that they wanted to get in for the plot mm-hmm. so that they could set up for some other shit that they were going to do down the road, like a comic yeah. book or something. Yeah, and then like I was trying to say about the boat, like, I don't even hate the idea. Like, I kind of like the idea of, like, tying it in with mm-hmm. the larger, like, Resident Evil universe. It, just, it does feel, like, ham-fisted. Yeah, and it, and it is just overly long for what it's worth. Yeah um but yeah let's let's um let's narrow this conversation down a lot uh let's talk about the actual beginning of this game um because there are parts of this game that i super duper like uh and most of them can be found in the first one hour of the game Mm -hmm. i i I think it's really strong it's incredibly strong the like design of what is effectively a tutorial in this game where you don't really have anything with which to defend yourself and they don't introduce normal enemies yet uh gives you this like house which is i want to say pretty you played this in a more high fidelity version than i did um Mm -hmm. i think that the house looks really good but I had VR blur right. where everything was like a little bit bad. So, <laughs> uh huh. So, I how does it does it hold up as much as I remember it holding up from playing it on PC? Yeah, I think it holds up. Um, there's some like there's always like some things uh, like some of the stuff that you pick up and you like twirl around Resident Evil style can mm-hmm. look a little bit. You know, when you look at them real close, they don't hold up under scrutiny as well. But most everything, I think, looks pretty good. Um, The people are the only thing that I think is aged, Um, especially uh, uh, Mia's hair. Mm. Mia's hair looks really weird. I don't know what it is about how the the RE engine renders hair, but uh, that was weird. And some of the lip syncing stuff, um, like there's the video that plays at the beginning of like the message that Mia made. And it, it it's maybe a little bit too off from the lips uh but yeah just little things like little bits of jank like on on the whole i think it held it holds up well yeah visually i I, and i think that's like a big thing that they were striving for when they set out to make this game is they wanted to make it a high because you're in first person so like it's necessary for the textures to hold up a little bit better because you're going to be right the fuck up on them Mm -hmm. so 
There's a lot of detail put into the house, and there's a lot of clutter and things all around, so that, like, everything feels a little bit more natural than it does in most Resident Evil games. Like, yeah, it's just, it's very small, or as we were saying, it's like it's smaller, denser areas, mm-hmm. and, like, that's, you can spend more processing power on making things look nice, and a lot of things are, like, darker, like, we, another comparison to Metroid Prime. Yeah. Um, you, you have these, uh, more enclosed smaller areas that are like a little bit more dimly lit and then you can uh really crank that fidelity (laughs) it's true and uh the and the darkness is also plays a big part of the visual style of this game there are very few areas that are like actually brightly lit and when you're in them they usually feel like a little weird uh Mm -hmm. the dim lighting like the large old house lit by a 60 watt bulb is like the aesthetic for this game like spot on Mm -hmm. it's like a little bit yellowy light and everything is is dingy and kind of hard to see yeah it's like it's all illuminated by candles Mm -hmm. that's kind of how it felt and then the game does shit like have a door that you unlock by putting three dog head symbols Mm -hmm. into it classic resident evil yeah which feels really out of place but then the actual dog heads are always hidden away somewhere where you would hide a key or something Mm -hmm. whereas in like another resident evil game they would be on like a pedestal yeah in the middle of a room if i'm giving the game too much credit here but it almost felt like it is as in place as it could be to me (laughs) because like it feels like because it's set in Louisiana and it's like this old mansion. Like I don't know. Like have like maybe it's just media telling me that old houses might have like secret passageways and things. But yeah. like it didn't really stand out that much to me. Yeah, but like the back door would not have a complicated sure. locking mechanism on it. Sure, I do agree with a lot of that though. Like especially like the bakers obviously have something to hide. Um, there's a bit of a question. There's a lot of a question about how at the end of this game they decide to make the Bakers a sympathetic family. Mm-hmm. Like, they are such good villains through most of the main part of the game that turning that around and being like, well, they were being mind-controlled feels a little bit like... It feels like a step backward more than I would want it to be. Yeah, I feel they might have been concerned with coming off as like stereotyping uh, southern uh, southerners, mm-hmm. but I don't know. Like, it feels like it makes enough sense to me. Like that, that's like part of the infection is that like it takes over their brain, like it's fungal. <laughs> Because, like, there are, like, fungal parasites that take over the brains of the host. That's, like, the whole premise of uh, The Last of Us outbreak. Yeah. yeah. So it, it makes enough sense, but it does feel a little bit... Maybe what it is is the strength of that performance that the voice actor for Jack gives. Like, you oh, actually yes. feel bad for him. Mm-hmm. So, but I don't know. Well, then, and, like, the strength of his performance also just as a villain, though. Like, mm-hmm. he did a really good job with that character and making him as menacing as he is. Uh, to the point where I think once you get past Jack's section of the game, the overall, like, actual scariness of the game drops pretty significantly. Um, and that's combined with a lot of other things that we can talk about when we get into mechanics, because it's a mostly mechanical problem, in mm-hmm. my opinion. Uh, arguably not even a problem, depending on who you are. But that 
the 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 baker family as villains i think are really good and in defense of it being a stereotype like this ain't deliverance like <laughs> there's definitely a, an understanding of what deliverance was when they were making these characters mm-hmm. but also like they are like doing science experiment like weird botany science in a basement that seems like it was made for them and not dug out just in the amount of time that they've been i don't know there's a lot of like (laughs) there's a lot of medical scientific detritus around for there's too much of it for me to be like they were innocent the whole time they at least had like a meth lab down there yeah (laughs) built on top of a military base or something Mm -hmm. it's like an indian barrel ground but like way worse (laughs) Uh, <laughs> oh god so yeah um god i started that whole conversation by talking about the intro when you're in the guest house all oh, right <laughs> and we made it to the main house already so that's good i guess mm-hmm. um so i play this game in vr uh-huh. and i'm just gonna insert this in now uh because i wanted to I've wanted to for a while, but I was always too motion sick to continue with it. Um, but this time I committed and just fucking did the whole thing. Mm-hmm. Uh, and the guest house part, immediately, I was like, oh no, is this <laughs> is this going to be the thing that makes video games scary again? Because I got to a, per- a, a point, a point. Apparent. Uh, in the uh, the intro, before you even get to the guest house, where some crows fly <laughs> by you, and like fucking jumped out of my chair, like the crows were really eating my flesh, like in a Hitchcock movie. Mm-hmm. Like it was real visceral fear that I felt when those crows flew by. <laughs> uh so i feel like the guest houses and also a lot of the enemies generally is really designed i think to take advantage of the idea of it being in first person and therefore vr just sort of intensifies that Mm -hmm. um there's a sequence in the guest house where you're under you're like wading through some like flooded out basement area and you have to like crawl under this thing and then a corpse like floats up Mm -hmm. uh that is good like (laughs) oh yeah (laughs) they do so many things that are just like these little like ooh spooky moments that happen in every resident evil game but the fact that it is in first person makes them work that much better and to separate it from the outlasts and the amnesias you know that in a resident evil game you have health and a health bar that you have to manage by picking up resources which are limited mm-hmm. and ammo and guns and shit and so when something startles you it's it never feels initially like it's probably just a set piece thing it feels like it could have consequences which is why you're more on your guard uh and i'm not saying resident was the only series that does this but it is a series that does do this and this game is like that and so yeah like so when i say that's real good (laughs) i do mean it is real good and also that it makes you 
feel mechanically at odds with the environment. Yeah, I, I think it pretty obviously is the case that, like, VR and horror go hand in hand. Mm -hmm. um, I think they um, released a demo for this, a VR demo that was just called Kitchen. Mm -hmm. uh and it was I, I think it was like a modified part version of like where ethan wakes up in the kitchen and the family sitting around him and they eat cockroaches and shit um and it was like one of those things where they're like oh everyone's pissing their pants at this crazy <laughs> new demo um so yeah it, it just seems like something that like when you put your you put a vr headset on things in a game feel more like they're actually happening to you and when things feel like they're actually happening to you, uh, they can be a lot scarier. Mm -hmm. And I already think, like, uh, as an adult, like, I find that I still like scary movies, but they rarely, like, actually scare me anymore. And, like, video games, I find, like, horror games to be, like, three times more effective at, at the least uh, than movies are. So, like, I imagine VR just amplifies it even more. Yeah, I wanted to try out the VR version, but didn't get the chance before recording, and I get horrible motion sickness, so it probably wouldn't have worked out anyway. <laughs> yeah, the, in the very aptly titled episode, Bad for My Tum Tum, <laughs> uh, which we did on Derecine, I talk about how Resident Evil 7 is a very bad game in VR for motion sickness, mm -hmm. uh, and I do hold to, I hold to my arguments, but... I now I am under the impression that you can like get used to it. Um, it's not playing the game in VR versus playing the game with a controller is not a significantly different mechanical experience other than you're aiming with your head and it's a lot harder to turn. Uh, so uh, there's a little give and take in that. So like I'm not gonna. It probably won't influence much of what I talk about, but the actual like gameplay experience is really similar i just wanted to mention that so that it's out there if i say something fucking weird and wacky mm -hmm. that could be an explanation for it or i'm insane so <laughs> one of those things uh, <laughs> uh so you mentioned derecine there and that's the one full game i've played in vr and even that um it isn't a horror game at all but even that has moments that are like scary there's yeah like VR really does just kind of lend itself. Like, it's... I don't know. There's a whole can of worms there. Like, we could get into a VR discussion. But, like, I I hope that in the coming years, like, advancements are made in the technology that make it, like, more accessible and cheaper. Yeah. Uh, so that we could see more uh, just games produced for it. Yeah. Yeah, it would be really nice. Um, <laughs> because it is, it is, like such a novel experience currently and mm -hmm. it does enhance things especially when you can actually just sort of like sit back and let yourself uh think that you're in a weird house you can be welcomed to the family in vr <laughs> comma son uh yeah so let's talk about Resident Evil 7? No. The Texas Chainsaw Massacre. Uh, because I feel like the core horror that this game, at least the one that it markets itself on, is basically the same as the, the Toby Hooper classic 
the Texas Chainsaw Massacre, where you have this family who are introduced as cannibals, kind of. They're eating people, presumably, Mm -hmm. at the beginning, though that is not really ever touched on from what I can tell. No, I don't think so. (laughs) It's real weird. I think it feels like it's implied, but that might just be our uh, associations with things like Texas Chainsaw Massacre. (laughs) That's very possible. As you're getting it. Because they do, it, it is evidence that they have just there's like a, as you said that corpse that pops up mm-hmm. in the water and they have uh what is it like an incinerator down in the basement where they burn what's left of the bodies yeah and stuff so i don't know an incinerator that has like a <laughs> a weird unlocking mechanism mm-hmm. to it which is odd but they've got lots of weird unlocking mechanisms in this house that's true that's the Cap- Capcom architectural college they went to. Mm-hmm. And uh, all the fridges seem to have some kind of rank, <laughs> rancid shit in them. So those are probably body parts, right? That's also true. There were microwaving a crow in the mm. beginning as well. So the di- we're all to I okay. I am altogether too fascinated by the diet of the Baker family. <laughs> they they do seem very in shape though. So it must be working out for them. Maybe crow. Maybe when somebody says eat crow, they mean get in shape. <laughs> it's just not everything that they eat, their their body rejects, so they're all just very skinny. Like, yeah, it makes sense. Uh, <laughs> but yeah, I guess that's part of, of why I would have liked to have seen more of the Baker family being the villain in the game. Uh, it's just because it it feels like their story had more interesting places that it could have gone. And them just being brainwashed kind of, like, doesn't gel with what happens in the rest of the game. Mm-hmm. So, I don't know. Yeah, um, and it feels like, as it goes, like, you end on, um, what's the son's name? Lucas. Lucas, yeah, you end on him, and he seems like the, I mean, he's, like, a crazy guy, but he seems the least, like, monstrous of all of them. He mm-hmm. seems the most, like, just a guy... Uh, who's unhinged so i think that also kind of leaves that on a weird note like yeah. it kind of shifts the focus um i don't know in a, in a weird way and then but i mean you do fight jack as the final boss uh who is looking even more monstrous than ever yeah um, capcom <laughs> capcom listen up when you're making a resident evil final boss just try one time to not have to have less than 10 legs and don't put glowy eyeballs on it it's like every time i was impressed though you do not kill the well i guess the fake final boss jag is not the actual mm-hmm. final boss because you do that weird set piece thing yeah uh but I, I it was novel not to shoot a rocket launcher at it mm. they, there was no rocket launcher in this game which is probably a good thing but i think it might be the first resident Evil game where you don't beat a boss with a rocket launcher uh-huh. the thing you beat the boss the actual final boss is dropped out of a helicopter though which is a classic resident evil thing mm-hmm. move on <laughs> Uh, I got, I don't know if I had that much more on that, but, um, it, it, cause it almost seems like it's taking the opposite trajectory at first. Like you fight Jack and he's, you know, considerably more human than 
Marguerite, is yeah. that her name? Yeah, like she's just like a weird bug monster, basically. Who <laughs> Big crawls distended around. limbs. Yeah, and, yeah, births little flying insects. At yeah, you. but then it goes back the other way. Mm-hmm. It's well, okay. So I want to. I'm at the very end, like mm-hmm. maybe even after final thoughts. I'm going to talk about the DLC a bit. Okay, and so there's going to be an addendum to this statement, but you do find some documents uh in the cave at the end of this game where it that that basically say that lucas was infected and then he got the cure Mm. because he's working with people who are trying to produce or like do experiments with this bioweapon. Okay. Which is E which is Evie or Evelyn or right. the E type E whatever. E who must not be named. E who must not be named. Vold E Mort. Yes. Uh, Moldy Mort. M- Moldy Mort. We finally got there after about fifteen <laughs> tries. Swish. <laughs> uh so like he is is infected in the game, mm-hmm. then is cured, and presumably this happens a long time before, at least a couple weeks before mm-hmm. you show up at the house, which means that Lucas, a non-infected regular person, was like, "I'm just gonna play along and eat people." Yeah, it's it. It really does. Like every bit. He of... was already like that <laughs> <He> before. Was... <laughs> I mean, you're right. He doesn't seem super, like, collected. Yeah. Yeah. (laughs) Though he did win the fucking amateur robotics contest in Louisiana in, like, 2004. Yeah, I think they're trying to go for, like, like a mad genius thing with Mm -hmm. him. But it seems like his strength is definitely in making traps and shit Mm -hmm. and not in biochemistry. Yeah, just he ate so many brains that (laughs) he became so much smarter. Yeah. He grew up on a diet of brains is what it was. (laughs) Oh, God. Uh, but yeah, the, the the whole narrative of this game, which I think is what I'm settling on what it is that we're talking about. Sure. <laughs> we're just big picture yeah. here on the first half. Uh, is like, it is like so ideal with what I would want from this kind of a game until that ending mm-hmm. that I think is what makes me dislike the ending as much as I do is just because I like... I don't like Ethan, but that's good. Like, I shouldn't like Ethan. He's kind of a tool. Mm-hmm. And it feels like you really are fighting to get away from this. And then the more and more Resident Evil stuff it puts in, the less, like, actually frightening it is. Mm-hmm. Like, once you're outside, I mean, uh, Ethan does seem like he's pretty into the idea of saving Mia. Mm-hmm. But it is his wife. Yeah. Or his girlfriend? I don't know if they're actually married. I, I was pretty sure that they were married, but I'm not 100% sure. I would need a legal document uh-huh. to keep me in that house after <laughs> I got out of the, the first door. Uh-huh. Uh, they should, like, Zoe calls up, like, yo, you gotta get the fucking, the head in the arm so i can make a serum to i'd be like oh no (laughs) no i'm gonna there's a gap in the fence i'm just gonna fucking leave uh so there is some like there's some definite like pull into contrivance 
Uh, but I think it all fits sort of the the horror movie aesthetic they're going for. Yeah, like uh, overall, the main story is pretty simple, um, and it has like a more like complex like backstory and lore or whatever you want to say, uh, and which is I think exactly what you want in a horror game. Like you don't want to muddy uh, the waters with like a complex plot while you're going through it. You just want to kind of let the game happen. Mm-hmm. And the game does, in fact, happen. Uh, <laughs> it happens to you pretty violently. And I think we should talk about those things after, after the, the break. break. We, don't, we don't plan those. We're just so in sync that we've managed to say them at the same time, like, two times yeah. ever. <laughs> Perfect synchronicity. <laughs> synchronicity, too by the police electric boogaloo <laughs> welcome back uh we were very all over the place in that first half uh so let's let's try and pick a theme and kind of go with it <laughs> uh because i'm sure there's still a lot we have to cover um and the thing for me that jumps out that i have a lot of thoughts on are just sort of the mechanics of the game. Mm-hmm. I, I feel like it plays a big role in both how this game was retooled from previous Resident Evil games to match more with the the way that the older games played, as well as just sort of like trying to make the game as scary as possible, I guess. Because this is the first Resident Evil game in a long time that I feel like has focused more on the horror aspects than the science fiction ones. Mm -hmm. Um, And a big part of that is item management, uh, which is, I guess, kind of a really boring thing to talk about, but it's just so important the way that the game plays. Mm -hmm. Because the game has gone back to having a pretty tight inventory limit at least for the first like two-thirds of the game where you will often run out of space unless you intentionally trek back to drop stuff off in those boxes Mm -hmm. um and for my taste i think it's a little too easy to do that like i think that the game would have benefited from having you to make you make more important choices Mm -hmm. about what things you're carrying with you at any given time but i can also see the argument that i would make where i'm like i hate that i can't carry all this shit around (laughs) uh i think the inventory management is more core to the Resident Evil experience mm-hmm. uh, than maybe you're implying. Because <laughs> um, I felt like it was too streamlined in this. Um, like, when I think back to... I've only played four and a little bit of the first game. And like when I think back to those, like having to like manage the inventory feels like a standout part. Because like, not only... like You have to make decisions about what you take with you, but like how much ammo you're going to need. Like you're actively thinking about how many bullets you're going to take with you and things like that. And this game streamlines it, I think too much where it's like everything just pops into place automatically. Like you Mm -hmm. don't have to like flip things around (laughs) and make enough room. Uh, And I don't know. Yeah. That part, it just felt, they simplified it to the point where it just felt like a non thing almost. Yeah. I think, um no i and and i do agree with you i i think that 
inventory management has been a part of the is and will always be a part of the resident evil series like i think that is a an important it's important to the genre like survival horror wouldn't be the same if there wasn't some kind of thought about resource and a very interesting and good way of making you think about resources is just what's your carry capacity like how much can you actually take with you but if you think back to resident evil one one of the big reasons that the characters have like differing difficulty levels is that one of them can carry more stuff and that Mm -hmm. is in itself a huge boon resident evil one is absolutely the biggest most restrictive of all of the games in the franchise uh as far as how much you can actually hold on you at one time whereas resident evil 4 has that the inventory tetris where you have to like fit things in based on how big they are in squares Mm -hmm. which i love and this game doesn't really have it has like kind of a callback to it and the fact that some things take up two squares Mm -hmm. but like it no it just never is as much of a problem as i think it should be Mm -hmm. so i do agree with you i think it is a core resident evil thing and i think that it should have been harder in this game yeah because like I was never thinking about how many bullets I was taking with me because I was just taking all the bullets with me. Like yeah. I wasn't gonna leave bullets behind. Yeah, like you had the feeling like in the fourth one where you get a new, you want to like buy a new weapon, uh, from the shopkeeper guy. Mm-hmm. Uh, and but it's always like a, you have like mixed feelings about it because it's like a new weapon, but it's also one less, one or two less slots that you can like put herbs in. Right. You know, so like there's always it's almost like it's a double edged sword or like you're always weighing Mm -hmm. what you should do, what you should buy, what you should, you know, all that stuff. Yeah, I think that the thought process that went into it, um, whether or not we think that it ended up as balanced as it could have been, is in Resident Evil 4, you get an abundance of supplies as opposed to in other Resident Evil games. Mm hmm. And so having a smaller inventory means that you have to choose what types of things you're going to carry with you at any given time. Whereas in Resident Evil 7, you're not given as much stuff. Like you are more often starving for supplies than you are starving for inventory space. And I don't necessarily think that that is bad, but I think that if there was tension on both sides, then it would have actually been more interesting. Yeah. And also, like, just trekking back to safe zones is pretty simple. Yeah. And I don't know exactly how you solve that problem, because... Other than having less of them. Yeah, or more enemies. Or More enemies would be worse, because then you're, you're bleeding people of supplies who are stuck in the game and are backtracking to find things. Yeah, and it might be blasphemous, <laughs> or maybe just a little bit too, like, inconsistent or whatever and messy, but, like, you could just have it so not every save room had a uh, crate yeah this game had crates that weren't even in save rooms they were just like (laughs) fuck it here's a box all your stuff's in it i feel like that was only like in one place uh i think it's more than it's in at least two because there's the one outside of the puzzle room right where you have to drop all your stuff off and there's also one outside of i want to say it's outside of jack's boss room or it's outside of the garage it's one of those two has a box like just in a corner it's it's i think it's outside of the boss room mm-hmm. it just, it's like a it's like a briefcase it's not a full yeah. crate yeah so i mean it makes sense that they put one in those two spots mm-hmm. 
Well, yeah, and it, it makes sense, but it is like they couldn't just keep them in the save rooms. Like mm-hmm. they had to also spread them out because the house is like the biggest contiguous area in the in the game mm-hmm. has multiple save rooms in it as well. So, um, yeah, I don't know. It's interesting the way that it's broken up and like you could see them trying to distance them from other places like if you were in the second house marguerite's zone uh and wanted to run back to a box it's all the way outside and across a gap Mm -hmm. so like you have to make a pretty significant trek to go to it so like and it worked like for me anyway like in that area i just didn't go I managed my inventory. I didn't pick up stuff if I was full. I tried to combine things to constrain the amount of stuff that I had with me at any given time um, in order to make like the the make it as streamlined as possible for me, mm-hmm. which put more pressure on my inventory, which I think was better. Uh, so it stumbles in a few places, and I, I think that Lucas's is overall less... Like, it has a few places that feel like very intentionally designed to drain resources like there's a hallway where there's like two bombs and then a four-legged molded spawns behind you and then three of the regular ones spawn in front of you Mm -hmm. and it's like you can't just go around them so you kind of have to shoot at least a few of them so there's no real way to conserve there the game just wants to get rid of your bullets at that point yeah and I don't necessarily like how that feels either. Like, I, I would prefer it if everything felt like an intentional choice on the player's side. Yeah, I don't know. That landed okay with me, like, at that point in the game. That it's like... Because it, it, I feel like it does feel like you're making a choice to, like, shoot every box once you find out that they explode. <laughs> mm-hmm. So, I don't know. I thought that was okay. Um, Those do have a mimic tell. Oh, I didn't know. Yeah, or never I never noticed. I didn't know on my first playthrough, but I noticed them this time. They have like one less rope of tape around them. Uh, yeah, but I don't, even that I feel like is a concession. <laughs> like that didn't need to be there. Like, yeah, they could have just looked like regular boxes. Yeah, I mean the last thing I think I'll I'll, I'll say on the inventory space is that there were multiple times where I would just be like need to pick something up and then I would just be like what do I have that's like a low amount of ammo I'll just shoot it all at the (laughs) ground and then to get rid of it and pick something else up Mm -hmm. and that never felt like bad to do so I feel like yeah they end up giving you too much space by the end and like they could have like it could have been more tightly balanced I think yeah on at least for the regular difficulty Mm -hmm. oh yeah I I have not played the game on Madhouse and I don't really have much of a desire to ever do it. Mm-hmm. Um, and so I don't, I don't know what's different about it. I know that enemy and item placements are different. And so because of that, I will leave the door open to maybe there is a more pure survival horror experience in here uh, that I just didn't have. But I think that those elements, the less stressful ones, should have been carried over into the other difficulties as well. Mm-hmm. Uh, but to shift topics, um, at the that, right after the beginning hour or whatever we want to call it, the guest house, mm-hmm. uh, you wake up in the kitchen and they play their little scene, um, and then uh, the the family leaves. And I think this is my least favorite part of the game <laughs> is when you're first in the main house and you kind of have to stealth around and avoid getting caught. 
uh, by Jack. And I remember, like, I got through the beginning of it, got to that part, tried it a couple times, and got killed. And I was like, well, that's enough for tonight. <laughs> and then the next day I asked you, like, how much of the game is just that? Uh, because, like, it really kind of rubbed me the wrong way. Like, I really... Mm-hmm don't like that part and i was wondering what you think of that kind of early stealth section yeah so bumping elbows again a little bit with the dlc stealth in this game stealth in first person is a difficult thing to pull off and it is not what this game is built around uh, and it sucks real bad. <laughs> because my answer to that question when you asked was, oh, I forgot that there was stealth even in the game mm-hmm. because it doesn't really come up uh, ever again. Uh, when I had said that, I had not yet played the DLC, and there is a stealth element to it. Mm-hmm. But, um, it yeah, for the most part, there's some like stay out of line of sight of the patrolling bad guy in marguerite section mm-hmm. but they made the choice of not giving marguerite eyes or ears uh or a sense of smell at all uh-huh. so you just kind of walk around eight inches away from her and she'll never notice you in a million years uh she, she basically has to like catch you red-handed like open a door into the room you're in mm-hmm. uh for her to actually see and attack you so they they even toned back on it pretty significantly uh, at that point in the game. So, you know, I don't know. I don't like it very much either. I think it has a cool set piece feel to it. The dinner table and then uh, Evelyn, who is grandma, goes missing. Mm-hmm. And you get to find some like little bits and pieces. Maybe get a hint about a puzzle you're going to do later. Uh, and him busting through the wall like all of that is like cool set dressing Mm -hmm. to a mechanical experience that feels like dog shit (laughs) (laughs) yeah i don't know it's and it's not very clear either about what it is you're supposed to be doing so Mm -hmm. yeah it's kind of a failure of a section but it comes hot off the heels of a pretty good part of the game yeah because like i know uh when we talked about uh the demo and pt we were speculating on like what the full game might be like Mm -hmm. um and there was like part of my cynical brain that was like the game will progress to just be like less and less like the demo is in more like the more actiony uh resident evil games and when i sat down to play the full game like i played through the beginning and was like oh yeah that's just as good as i remembered and then we get to this part, and I'm like, oh, no. <laughs> <laughs> I like, want it to become more action-y like other my, my, uh, uh Yeah, maybe it isn't going in the action direction, but it's definitely going in a direction I don't like. And <laughs> that was, yeah, it was very off-putting. So, And that's fair. I, I think that that initial part of the game is very off I mean... There's off-putting in a good way in a horror game. Yeah, yeah. Which is like being force-fed like a weird giblet from a person. A gibble sandwich. A gibble. You're getting force-fed a gibble sandwich. (laughs) And then there's off-putting in the way that you're like, I feel like there's nothing I can do correctly at this part of the game. Mm -hmm. Uh, Which is much worse. Though, you know, it had its like scary moments to it. I don't know. I don't want to write it off as a complete failure, but it is a at least very definite partial failure. Yeah. Uh, 
but you move on from that into what is the most resident evilly part of the game uh in the the main part of the house where you're solving actual puzzles that are puzzles uh where you read things like in an escape room and then collect shit and get guns and suddenly you have like the ability to do stuff like in the game Mm -hmm. um and i was impressed by this a lot i think that the quality of puzzle in the game decreases as time goes on uh and they did use a lot of their puzzle budget for the happy birthday section which i appreciate it Mm -hmm. was a cool bit but it wasn't quite I feel like a lot of the other puzzles in the game don't really live up to it, but the fact that the beginning was so very Resident Evil made me not even care. Yeah, and I think that speaks to like what I said in the first half, where like the first house really feels like it's the like lock and key puzzles mm-hmm. from Resident Evil One, like kind of put into the this section of the game. Like it feels intentional there are less later on to me yeah um yeah and i think it works really well um and as i as i've been calling them i think they're like a particular kind of puzzle as you said like escape room style whereas like you find thing a and put it in place b uh to progress and uh while on paper when i describe it that might not sound that interesting but like i really like that sort of thing in practice mm-hmm. it has series staple clock puzzles in it mm-hmm. which it, yeah, yeah. And there's something about being able to take like the pieces and spin them in your hand quotes in your hand yeah um spin them around and actually look at them like they're physical things in the game world yeah is always cool and it's not just like a little flat glowy thing that you pick <laughs> up and then there's just a picture of it in your inventory right uh, and like the fact that a few of them are even interactable, like yeah, you have those little lock boxes that you can like open and mm-hmm. shit. Uh, a very nice detail, and something that I do wish they would have been able to go further with. I imagine that that wasn't a core <laughs> design thing that they wanted to work on. Mm-hmm. So like, here's hoping that Village is more has more of that to it uh, because they have the engine down already. Mm-hmm. Yeah, and I even, I like um, how, like, the weapons and things are introduced. Like, you go into that main, uh, like, entry room, and there's just, like, the shotgun is, like, being held by, like, a bust of some guy, you know, <laughs> with a spotlight on it, and you're like, oh, fuck yeah, the shotgun. Yeah. <laughs> but then you, you have to, like, get, uh, do an Indiana Jones mm-hmm. swap out for something else of the same weight so yeah. you can take it with you. Uh, like, I just feel like that kind of stuff was set up really well. Yeah, and I think that, like, that's such a good set piece for the shotgun because, like, yes, you do have to solve a puzzle to actually get it, but putting it there with that, like, level of ostentatious display mm-hmm. really, it emphasizes that the game, while making it feel in environment, like, actually feel like it should be where it is, is also a wink and a nudge at how important shotguns are, not just in Resident Evil, but in, like, zombie media as a thing. Like, it's an iconic weapon for a reason. Yeah, and it's even, like, subtle, like, uh, maybe not subtle, but, like, it is, um, it's, like, signaling about the game mechanics. Like, if you're brand new mm-hmm. and you've never played a Resident Evil game or you don't play, like, shooters of any kind, really, 
it it puts it there under a spotlight and makes it seem important to you. Yeah. So even if you were like an ignorant baby, <laughs> you would know like shotgun good because mm-hmm. they make you work for it and they point like they point it out. Yeah. Uh, I think this is probably as good a place as any to talk about the shotgun mm-hmm. and in fact all of the guns uh in the actual shooting mechanics of this game because i am absolutely shocked at how like crunchy and solid everything feels like it is a survival horror game and your bullets are precious and they want every shot to feel like it means something like you have to decide to put another bullet into an enemy uh, and like you need to get worried when something isn't dying as fast as you want it to. Um, and the way that they accomplish that with just the feeling of the guns is just so incredibly satisfying in a way that a game that was more about shooting wouldn't ever be able to pull off because it would just be sensory overload. But like the amount of damage that a, that the shotgun feels like it's doing is just incredible like mm-hmm. it's it is like you you put a shotgun up to this like really oversized easy target of a head and have it just like explode into matter in a way that is just so like satisfying and gross and it's it's really good it's mm-hmm. really really good yeah like having to like going down to the basement and having to kill the uh the molded i think they're called yeah uh with the handgun and then coming back with the shotgun and being able to kill them in one hit if you hit them in the head at close enough range with it, mm-hmm. it just yeah, it feels great. Yeah, it's like it doesn't make me want to save my. Aunt. This is the downfall is I didn't want to not shoot things. Oh yeah, I, I was always, having such a good time. Yeah, going back to the inventory uh, balancing. Yeah, like I <laughs> the shotgun was like what I was walking around with. Yeah. That is the walking around gun. Exactly. I am too set in my ways for that, though. Like, I did always walk around with the pistol, even if it had, like, one bullet. Because mm-hmm. <laughs> I'm like, don't want to accidentally shoot off a shotgun shell. Those are important. <laughs> uh, well, plus they also give you... This isn't the time to talk about it, necessarily. But they give you crafting recipes for handgun ammo. Mm-hmm. Um which they don't give you shotgun shells. Those are, you have to scavenge all of those. Mm -hmm. So it is a very different sort of experience. Like the two, I guess also go back to the craft or to the, uh, the inventory management. There is a very limited crafting thing in this game. Mm -hmm. There's like, I, I could, I could literally name all of the things you can craft. There are so few of them. I think it's like eight, Uh, in the main game and i would say 90 percent of the time the only things that you're using chem fluid for are just health and and bullets Mm -hmm. uh and you wouldn't really ever use them to make uh the the psycho stimulants right or the psycho billy freak out psycho billy freak out 
psycho vision the grenade i forget there what it's called go. the blue grenade or the red the incendiary grenade like i don't i don't i just didn't ever make those really like mm-hmm. the grenade launcher felt like it was such a limited use item that i never wanted to just like bust it out yeah i never ended up taking it with me oh i took it to the final boss mm. did a good job <laughs> <laughs> but so did the shotgun though so shotgun stays useful for the whole game mm-hmm. yeah and i don't want to forget to mention it but uh it's when speaking about weapon feel, the thing that comes to my mind is the axe oh, from the yeah. beginning of the game. The axe feels so good to use that I'm sad that you don't get one in the main game. Yeah. It's got that like chunky and we talked about this, like when you hit a wall, uh really sticks in there. Yeah, and you have to like pull it back out. Like it's it's a really well designed sort of thing. Yeah, like when we talked about God of War, we talked about how good it felt to hit things with a Leviathan X. And part of the reason why uh, that feels so good is because the X actually like collides with and then sticks in the enemy model yeah. for like a second before it like goes through. And I think they have a similar thing going on here. Like when you hit something with it, it like sticks <laughs> and then it comes out. Like it just feels really uh really satisfying yeah i'm glad that we're and have been at least for four years in an age where the technology exists that it is possible to make a combat system where swords don't completely go through people and Mm -hmm. then deal a little bit of damage like you can actually have combat that feels real and weighty visceral yeah without relying literally entirely on hit stop and sound effects like his stuff and sound effects still play a big role in what mm-hmm. makes them feel good. It's that good, good animation, baby. Yeah. You don't get, you don't have to lose that yeah, animation. physics and <laughs> whatever else is contributing. Right. Uh, but yeah, uh, so I, I almost feel like that primed me for like uh, my expectations for like how good the other weapons would feel, even though there wouldn't necessarily be a correlation. <laughs> <laughs> That's fair. Uh, the knife notably feels like hot trash to use. <laughs> and I think intentionally so, but like You're supposed to use it to bust crates, man. Yeah, for the most part. Oh yeah. When I was playing, um, when I first came across the crates, I was like, "Thank God I've played other Resident <laughs> Evil games," because I don't know how long it would have taken me to make the connection that you can just bust these open with the knife. Right. There is one in the stairway to the garage. So this is like very possible to miss when you go into the garage oh there's a thing there's it has a note you can examine a crate that tells you like oh you couldn't open this with your bare hands and i'm like it makes it seem like you need a key right no but i did bust that with the knife yeah but if i didn't have that past game knowledge i don't know that i would have Mm -hmm. and i guess like you have to go past it to get the knife from the cop at the Mm -hmm. the window and then turn around toward the garages and maybe maybe that's when they intended you to see it yeah but um it's weird that they have to tutorialize crates but i could just be so ingrained in the series that it's just like box better break it open (laughs) hope there isn't a snake inside yeah i just it, it might be yeah once again like for me as well like playing other games i knew what to do mm-hmm. but i'm like i'm suspicious that there really isn't any kind of like clear messaging that like crates are breakable they are this game similarly to the last of us does use the color yellow to indicate shit that you can do mm-hmm. and they do have yellow tape on them that's my True. only defense yeah. i would say 
Um, do you want to talk about bosses? Sure. Did you, did you have any notes on bosses? Is my question. No, I didn't. Um, I was just thinking about them like, I think they're fine mm-hmm. for like what they are, but none of them like really stand out as being like a great part of the game to me. I'm glad that you say that because that was also kind of my takeaway. Yeah, like I feel like they were they in my mind like work better as set pieces. Uh the only one I feel like I liked mechanically was Marguerite. Mhm. Um cuz she's like running around it's like two floors. Uh you just kind of had to keep your wits about you and like blaster. Yeah. But uh, a classic formula. Yes. But not, like I think like um, Jack in the garage with the car. Jack in the garage. That uh, one is, is good. cool. Um, I didn't notice the keys <laughs> on my first uh, attempt. Mm-hmm. Uh, but yeah, that, that one has like a sense. Like that one has a sense of escalation to it. Um, yeah, the chainsaw fight. Eh. Yeah. I don't know. Yeah, like they're just—they're. I don't think any of them were bad. Yeah. But yeah, as I said, none of them like stand out to me. Yeah, I think that they are all good set piece. They're good to watch, and that sucks because you do have to play them. Mm-hmm. So there are some instances of them where, like, they're not like unfun necessarily. I would argue that the chainsaw one probably takes too long. Uh, if they had just make Jack more lethal, like mm-hmm. have him kill you earlier and just cut his health, health, health. <laughs> cut, it, cut his health in half. Mm-hmm. Uh, because it, it is, it just takes, it's like a 25 minute boss, but it's not, it's not at all <laughs> that long, but it's like very long for like a, a such an up close intense fight. Yeah. It is satisfying to use the chainsaw though. True. Sucks that it, they break it. Yeah. You can apparently unlock a circular saw by doing some achievement, uh, which is like similar to the chainsaw, so that's cool. But what are you gonna do? Mm-hmm. Uh, but no, I did want to. You you hit the nail on the head there, is that I do want to shout out Jack in the Garage because it is, it to me is what Jack's boss fight, his regular boss fight, should have been more of, where it's like you trying to use the environment to slow him down while you deal damage as opposed to just, like, a one-on-one fight. And the scene where he gets up out of the fire and fucking gets in, the, like, tears the roof off the car and gets in and tries to drive your head into a girder mm-hmm. is so good. It had me in my chair with the VR headset on, like, doing this, <laughs> where I'm leaning all the way over here, being like, get your gross face away from me. Because it's really uncomfortable to have somebody virtually even that close to you. Mm-hmm. Like, it's it's a really good set piece, as all the bosses really are. Mm-hmm. Uh, <laughs> I mean, that's my only thought on that. Um, now I'm trying to think. You don't have one with Lucas until the DLC. Yeah. Okay. I was gonna say, what do they have in place of that? That's when Jack's boss fight is. Okay. Yeah. So you make it out in that. Okay. Yeah, and then he gets to be a big dude, mm-hmm. and then you give. Okay. <laughs> Here's the. Okay, this is something I mentioned to you off the podcast. Yes. Because after Jack's boss fight, you have to make a choice. 
uh, in big giant quotes here, mm-hmm. between whether you're going to give your final vaccine to Mia, the person that you came to save and rescue, uh-huh. and also your wife, have you who you've proven through trial and error at this point that she will not just be normal mm-hmm. <laughs> she will cut your arm off with a chainsaw when given the opportunity uh and kill you or some lady <laughs> yep. you just met and technically made the vaccine that's the one argument that i can see yeah but she zoe seems to me like she's immune Right? Because she's been living there for, like, a long time and doesn't seem to show any signs of being infected. (laughs) Uh, Which also makes it feel like a Mm non-choice, right? Like, you don't really know her at all other than than as a voice on the phone. Mm -hmm. And she seems like she's doing fine. Yeah, she is not... So, I don't know, because it's a Resident Evil game, and therefore the plot is extremely convoluted, Mm -hmm. but I'm fairly certain that she is only not, uh, like, a psycho killer, because Evelyn doesn't like her. Mm. Like, she, the, Evelyn the child, who is a weird ghost creation, Mm -hmm. bioweapon, strain of a disease, is, likes Mia. And sees Mia as her mother. Right. And therefore, Zoe, she didn't like because she filled a similar role and just ignored. And I guess she could just go. I could be entirely wrong about Uh this, but that's just what I picked up. And it's lame a lot because, like, it does feel like they're treated really inconsistently. And it's like, how is this like even a good, a viable bioweapon if the bioweapon can just choose it doesn't want to work on some people? <laughs> right. <laughs> so there's a lot of issues there. But it still seems like Zoe doesn't need to be. No, yeah. Like, yeah. She seems like she's, yeah. Like they, It doesn't feel like it has any kind of proper setup mm-hmm. to like be a choice at all. Like I've heard some people say online that they like, really disliked Mia like for trying to kill you and stuff and I'm like oh she was possessed like I don't know I I feel like you can easily poke holes in any kind of argument against picking Mia like very easily like wet tissue paper yeah though also Mia is not a I I would give you that Mia isn't really a sympathetic character because we don't know anything about her right but we know more about her than Zoe well arguably because she was like a secret government agent who like vanished at least we know that, right? <laughs> well, we know it after. That. Yeah. Yeah. So, like, there isn't, they don't do a great job of characterizing anyone in this game. Mm-hmm. And, but that, that honestly just makes the choice easier because the one that you're given a reason to care about seems like the one you should care about. Yeah. Uh, and also, the Mia ending sucks. Uh, if you do the Mia ending. Uh, you mean the Zoe ending? Or the Zoe ending, rather. Yeah, if you do the Zoe ending, she uh, Mia cannot resist the control, and she dies. So mm. it's just the same outcome but worse is basically <laughs> what, what happens. Weird. And is non-canonical as well, because in the end of Zoe, obviously, Zoe's not chosen. <laughs> right. Um, just while it came up in conversation, uh, Mia cuts your arm off. Sure does. At the end of um, the guest house part. But then you wake up with it just sewn on, and it's like, (laughs) 
what was the point of that? Uh, I think it is to give them an excuse to put a wristwatch on you. You don't need to have your arm taken off for that. No, you sure don't, but... (laughs) It's just so weird, because it's something I didn't even think about at first, and I'm like, wait a minute, like, Mm -hmm. is this ever going to come back up? Kind of, no. Yeah, it's like, is it my hand going to mutate and fall off and become like a weird crawling hand? Yeah, if they Whatever like that a... D&D monster is that's like uh, a crawling hand. I think you're thinking of that monster from the uh, the Addams Family well, module. Well, it is, it is that. Yeah. Yeah. No, I'm, I'm thinking uh, if they had a scene that was just straight out of Evil Dead 2. Yeah. Where the hand like crawls around and tries to smash plates on your head. I would be pretty into that. All things can VR, Evil Dead Two. Hell yeah, sign me up. Mm-hmm. Uh, but unfortunately, no. Yeah, I think it would be too hard to do that without it being silly. I think, but who gives a shit? <laughs> Good point. Uh, <laughs> no, it isn't. <laughs> uh, but no, importantly, I've always read that. That scene is them implying that they were going to give you the regenerative virus. Mm. And I definitely thought they did, and they didn't. Like, you don't have to take a vaccine yourself. Mm -hmm. So what the fuck? Like, why? (laughs) It doesn't make any sense. Uh, and I don't know how they reattached your hand and had it work just perfectly fine. Maybe it's supposed to signal that, like, the, uh the baker family is like does experiments <laughs> on humans and they could sew your arm back on yeah they're medical like geniuses a, yeah like it's supposed to like elude to that kind of stuff maybe but that's the only thing i could think of like, yeah no yeah it's it's weird uh oh one thing i wanted to talk about were the uh the key doors Oh, yeah, like the crow. Yeah, a little bit of that uh, Metroidvania-style design. Um, Yeah, I just thought it was interesting. Like, the one that stands out in my mind, um, they just, they gate, it's a classic video game uh, thing where they just gate uh, some doors, like you'd need specific keys to get through them that Mm -hmm. you get throughout the course of the game. Um, But one instance where it stood out to me where it, like, felt pretty Metroid um, was going back to Lucas's room because, mm. like, you you go. It's later in the game, and like coming back to the main house and going into a new room, and it being like a little kid's room, and like you read like some uh, diary entries, <laughs> and you find out like how to get up to the secret attic entryway. Like that felt a lot like coming back to an old area and like finding something new. Yeah, in in a way that I really liked and kind of would have liked to have seen more of yeah i think that if you and i mean this is arguably the problem with the really small area design Mm -hmm. that i do love and think is great um i think that the the problem arises that you kind of run out of you can't really put all that many new things yeah into it without it seeming weirdly huge yeah like it just you go back to the main house a few times for stuff, but like you never go back to the second house, like mm-hmm. where Marguerite is. You know, I I don't know. You could have just I think added a few more instances where you use the keys to open doors. Yeah. To get something new. Yeah, I think the second house in particular really could have been expanded uh, 
a good bit in mm. order to just allow for that. And not even like big giant things just like throw in another door that once you get a key you can go back and there's just like a treasure room in there just like yeah. some bullets and stuff just something to reward you for remembering it yeah, yeah that, that kind of stuff is always interesting and yeah and another one that stands out is um the game pushes you towards this um explicitly eventually but like as soon as i got through the second house and unlocked the shortcut back to the yard I went back into the main house and opened the crow door and got the rocket launcher. Grenade launcher. Grenade launcher, not the... Yeah. It wouldn't normally (laughs) be a problem, but this is Resident Evil. Yeah, I got the grenade launcher and felt, like, super smart for remembering that crow door was there. Right. Yeah, like, just in... You know, it's in the room with the deer, so it's, like, easy to remember. Like, I don't know, that... There was just a few instances of, like, really like well thought out design there that like i just wish there were a few more of yeah it does it does feel like a lot of the really great design falls in that first house Mm -hmm. like especially like the your wrap up with the first house is going up into uh grandma's room Mm -hmm. i know it's in the master bedroom grandma's room so you get the shotgun but uh, grandma's in there though yeah and she's in there and there's like a painted uh, like a portrait of jack and stuff and you do a little puzzle and it shifts the bed back and when you go down the bed or yeah the bed you go down the bed you go down the, the bed case the stair bed uh into the basement you can then open a door that is the door that goes back into the into that room in the basement that you could never access before. Mm-hmm. And so you kind of bust out and it interconnects and it's like a little shortcut up to the uh up to the save room. And it's it's very good. Like I, I do really love the design of that house. And then you can raise a bridge in the second house and that's it. Yeah. <laughs> There's really nothing there. Mm-hmm. So it would have been nice to have a little bit more. Yeah, like the second house feels like the obvious uh miss potential there because like the third area where lucas is feels like it's supposed to be a more linear like progression towards the end yeah um that so, d- yeah. lucas would have been great in a, a home haunt situation <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> he's the guy with the plywood out back who's putting together like a, a spooky ghost house for kids mm-hmm. oh and um one other thing that i wanted to mention while we're talking about the design of the house um, we're talking about how like this takes inspiration or it seems to anyway from like Outlast or things like Amnesia. Um and but it almost kind of feels like it borrows from like walking simulators as well. Like there are parts of playing this that almost kind of felt like playing Gone Home or something like that. Like you're walking around like an abandoned house, like picking up and reading things, you know? Yeah. It just I like the mix of influences in it. The amount of this game that I liked in VR, uh, none of it was as much as I liked just exploration. Mm-hmm. Like looking around the house in a way that is that feels natural, and like me actually angling my head to like get a, a better look at stuff. Like, yeah, it gives you that gone home feeling, especially in the calm moments where you are a little bit afraid because there's atmosphere and you feel like something bad could happen. But at the time there isn't anything immediately uh, like standing against you. And you have all of these opportunities to just kind of like dig through the garbage and try and find shit. And like, yeah, that's super good. And I wish that 
and it fits the genre really well because it's it is a survival horror game like actively scavenging does reward you mm-hmm. uh so yeah the that kind of stuff just worked really well and it does work best in the main house but i'd argue that it keeps it keeps rewarding you for looking around at least mm-hmm. yeah just let you stew in the atmosphere a bit hell yeah mm-hmm. i want to I think at this point, I think where we are right now, mm-hmm. I want to talk a bit about the DLC. Okay. And uh, there are two DLC packs that I played. There are two additional ones that I did not play because the other two... There are two okay, the two I played are Chris's story, which is called N- Not a Hero or something, mm-hmm. and then uh, The End of Zoe. And the other two are Band Footage Volume 1 and Band Footage Volume 2, which are both just minigame collections, weirdly. Okay. It's like play cards, play, uh, there's like a survival mode, and then there's like, I don't know, Connect 4. That isn't what it is, but there's like some other like little minigames. Pretty sneaky, sis. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> uh, yeah, I did not play any of the DLC. Yeah, and that's fair. Yeah. And having played it, I don't know if I would recommend it. Uh, <laughs> Not a Hero is exactly what I thought it would be, which is it's you're playing as Chris Redfield, who's in a paramilitary group, and therefore it's just Resident Evil 7, but it isn't scary anymore, and you just shoot everything, and you have a lot of bullets and guns. And it's boring, and it's not very good, and the puzzles are really bad. Um, like, the puzzles in Not a Hero are like, don't step on this giant fucking button thing yeah like there are literally panels that are the size of like three cows in a line and they're just like don't oh maybe you'll step on it and blow up it's like no i won't because <laughs> it's huge uh and actually i want to so i want to make mention of just a few things in each of the games uh or in each of the the dlcs uh in order to keep this really brief mm-hmm. and to explain what i think about them and Chris's problem is that it takes everything the, the base game does really well and flips it around so it does it really bad instead. Uh, the puzzles aren't very good, the combat is too easy, and the enemy placement in the main game I think is like really good. They tend to like, they rarely just drop something from the ceiling on you, mm-hmm. and when it, it does happen, it's really unexpected and it works. In the DLC, the enemy placement feels like I'm playing an eight year old's Mario Maker level. Because it's just like you go into a room, and they're like, oh, there's 10 of them. What are you going to do? It's like, well, you gave me a sh- an automatic shotgun that starts with like 60 bullets. I'm going to kill them all and move on with my day. Mm-hmm. And the guns don't feel as satisfying because they're just overly powerful and they all have like this weird gas effect to them. It's, I don't know, it's not great. Uh, that's pretty much it on that one. Uh-huh. Uh, because I want to focus this really on the end of Zoe because there is... I knew who Chris Redfield was, mm-hmm. and I knew what Chris Redfield was about, and that was guns. And punching boulders. And punching boulders, and he gets to do lots of that. Uh, the last part of it is, like, I could spend a whole podcast talking about what I don't like about that DLC, but the last part of it, you rip, like, a metal grate out of the grounds with your bare hands, and it's absurd, and you jump down in, and I'm like, well, at least we know he's still superhuman strong. Uh but the end of Zoe stars a character named Joe, and I didn't have any uh, Joey. <laughs> just, just yes, Joey. <laughs> the end of Joey. Uh, 
And I did not have any preconception of who Joe was because I don't know him and I've never seen him before and he's not mentioned ever. Mm -hmm. Uh, And so when I jumped into it, what I was expecting was not a game where you just punch all the enemies. (laughs) Okay, I did hear about this. You play as Jack's brother, right? Yep. And he just punches He doesn't get guns. You can craft single-use spears that you throw at people, and it deals huge amounts, like kills most things in one hit. But they're crafting things, so they're very limited. Uh, But the punching also is, is kind of... So... I'm so distressed by this. I love how wild this is. Like, somebody was like, you play a game, you play a Resident Evil game that's, like, real spooky and sneaky, and then after that, you play the same Resident Evil game, except you punch things by doing fist combos with the right and left trigger, and you pick up little stick figures with boxing gloves to increase your strength, and then at the end, you get a robot hand. (laughs) I can like do a force punch that obliterates people's heads. And I'd be like, that's hysterical. I love that. Let me play it right now. And they put so much work into making it do anything in the engine. And I'm like very proud of it <laughs> yeah. for it. They've, but the design just isn't yeah, there. They, they, they were, st- they tried to be sensitive and not uh, go too hard on the stereotyping of the Baker family. <laughs> And, uh, you know, make them sympathetic in the end. And then they were like, oh, we, well, we did that. So, like, let's put in a hillbilly boxer. <laughs> yes. It's so goofy. And, like, I actually, so, the, I, don't, I don't think this happens in the main game, but I can't confirm because I don't think I ever died eight times in ten minutes. Mm-hmm. Uh, but I did in uh in the end of zoe because there are enemies that will just fuck you up and so you have to do all this stealth to get around people and the i we will put a fucking clip in this episode i swear to god Mm -hmm. uh because i took a clip because the stealth is so bad that you can literally punch a door open and sprint into a room and then the enemy just won't know that you're there (laughs) It's, like, unbelievable. Uh, (laughs) So, anyway, you go through all this, and the problem really is just that, like, they couldn't make this function as a Resident Evil game, so it feels like a totally separate kind of game. And there are way too many areas where you're just wading through water, and there are alligators in them. To punch. You can't punch the alligators. Oh. They just kill you instantly if they touch you. Mm. And so I turn the difficulty to easy. Because after you die a bunch of times, it prompts you to do that. Um, and just ran through the rest of it just for the experience of it. So it's a little weird. But the important things here are Zoe, at some point, spontaneously after the events of the main game just like crystallized, like turned into a weird crystal lady. Yeah. Like when you get overcome by the fungus or whatever. It's when you get hit. It's what happened to Jack after you stab him yeah. with the cure. Right? And it, I think it happened with when you killed Marguerite too. She like crystallized. Oh yeah. Yeah. I think yeah, it's yeah. just like if you're infected and you were like, quote killed Mm -hmm. that's what happens to you yeah so that happens to zoe but for seemingly no reason 
Mm. And your goal... Well, that's the end. Yeah, (laughs) is to save her, which you do. And there's, like, an implication that, like, she gets saved by Chris, of course, Mm. uh, and the rest of of Umbrella. Man, do they have to ride back home on a jet ski? (laughs) No, but they do get on a helicopter, I'm pretty sure. Okay. Uh, And, like, Ethan calls her and is like, I told you I'd send somebody for you. And Mm. I was like, if I was her, I'd be like, fuck off. (laughs) You left me to die. But either way, that's that's the the plot of Zoe, so that you know what happens with her, mm-hmm. and I guess the reason to cure her, and also why curing her is not canon. <laughs> Zoe will return in Resident <laughs> Evil Village. Yeah, and then maybe, and yeah, let's hope not. But if she does, I guess that's okay. Um, <laughs> the end, the not a hero ending. Lucas becomes a big monster, but seemingly for no reason because mm. he was cured. He just like you shoot him in the head with a gun, and he's like, "Ah, oh, you shot me in the head," and with then a the gun. Sc- <laughs> with a gun, and I'm bleeding. And then the screen goes black, and then he just falls down from the ceiling as like the Hulk, and you just shoot mm. him a whole bunch of Classic. times there. Yeah, it's not it's not a good boss fight, and I didn't like it. But he does get a boss fight, so... And it's supposed to be like a Dr. Jekyll, Mr. Hyde kind of thing, because he's like the, the he's... genius character. Yep. Yeah, and the Mr. Hyde version of Lucas, I think, only ever says the phrase, My head! <laughs> <laughs> Sounds about right. That's my DLC wrap-up. Nice. Uh, I have two more things I wanted to touch on. Okay. Uh, and the first one, we, we touched on it briefly earlier but the uh lucas escape room vhs tape mm-hmm. it's a standout moment of the game i think um and also like note to developers vr escape rooms would be are, v- cool. are cool yes <laughs> um but it's i think it, it's it feels like completely unique from anything else. So like it, it does feel like a vignette as you kind of used to describe them earlier. Um, so it's got like unique assets. It's got like the animatronic clown and stuff, and it's got the room with the balloons in it Yep. and uh, other unique things. And it, it's clever that like watching the tape is like how you get the ability to like cheat the puzzle later as Ethan uh, by just knowing one of the combinations uh, so it's just it's really well done and it is frustrating that you can see it coming a mile away that the oil <laughs> on the floor like the cake is just gonna fall in it and yeah. it'll explode but um i don't know it's just a real standout section like it almost makes me like uh harkens back to like what's good about the beginning of the game like you you don't have any guns it's a little bit more psychological and like you're just trying to like explore a space and try and like to escape you know like it's it really dials in on that survival horror feeling. Mm-hmm. It is scary and you are trying to survive it. Yeah. It's yeah, it is super good. Like it's the part of it that isn't very survival horror is literally just the fact that like there aren't there isn't a guy who will punch your head until you're di- until, right. until you're died. Uh, yeah. Uh and that part is like so it, it it reduces a little bit of that management, but it does feel more pure, you know? Mm-hmm. Like well, I always felt like someone could come into the room you know like there was always like this feeling of like unknown like maybe something could come kill me yeah Uh, and yeah i feel like i agree 
it is a highlight. It's one of the things that I'm going to remember about this game, even though I say that and I forgot about it. <laughs> yeah, that seems unbelievable. Yeah. To me. Like you got to it and you were like, I don't, is there a way that I can cheat this? <laughs> I can super solve this? Right. Like, is what you said? It's like, no, not that I know. Yeah. I, uh, I really plowed through this game when it first came out. So yeah, I guess that makes sense. Yeah. But um, yeah, and it's the closest that this game gets to like feeling like Saw esque, mm-hmm. which I feel like uh, was inevitable. And like Lucas's character was like designed yeah. to really emulate, and yeah. that's the best that they did with it. Yeah, no, I think that was smart because it doesn't feel too specific or like derivative or anything like uh, that could have felt hokey. Mm-hmm. But um, like he doesn't, there isn't like a TV in there that comes on and like some kind of weird <laughs> puppet talks to you right which very easily could have happened in this um but the other thing i wanted to bring up was grandma Mm, yeah grandma evie because the grandma i think stands out from the very beginning like you do the dinner scene and then she's the only one left there (laughs) so and i was like uh like is she gonna do something and then the next time I saw her just sitting around, I'm like, oh, is she going to do something? <laughs> you know, but I never attacked her. And I don't know if something happens if you do. Uh, but I was like, I'm just going to wait for her to do something. And I bet she's going to get me with a jump scare later in the game. Mm-hmm. And I just kept thinking that. But then she stops showing up um, for a long time. And then, like, it, but so I never really thought anything of it um, until, like, right before it's revealed that she is Evie. Like you come, you're going through the house or wherever you are and you go into a room and the empty wheelchair is there. And right. I'm like, Ooh, that's such a great detail. And like you put it together and you're like, Ooh, I love that foreshadowing. Uh, and then it turns out that the grandma was the, was the girl the whole time. Yep. And I'm a sucker for that kind of a twist when it's pulled off. Well, yeah. Yeah. I fully agree. I think, um, I mean, I don't have really a lot to discuss about it, but I think this game is pretty good about doing setup and payoff with a lot of the things that it it does. Like everything is thematically tied to each other in like nebulous kinds of ways, and having Evie be grandma and that sense and sort of like playing it with that knowledge also gives you sort of like an appreciation for like, what is she doing at any given time? Uh, it's just, yeah, it's cool. And I like that there are, there was that attention to detail, uh, to use her in that effective of a way for all I know, that could have been like the elevator pitch for Mm -hmm. the plot where they just like the grandma is the mastermind the whole time. And they're like, how do we fucking work that out? Cause (laughs) that scene with the wheelchair is going to be real good. (laughs) Mm -hmm. Design backwards from empty wheelchair. (laughs) This is, this is back forward design. Yes. (laughs) It's not top down. Uh, yeah. Like unless you wanted to talk some more about the boat, uh, I feel like that's all I got. Now, if there's anything I don't want to talk about, it is the boat. Okay. We touched on it enough, I think, in the first half. Mm -hmm. Mm-hmm. So I was wondering if we had any Series F thoughts. Uh, My Series F thoughts are... uh, This game really impressed me. 
um because i i like the demo a lot like we just do this with stuff every once in a while like we'll find a thing we really like and then we'll have all of our friends play it (laughs) and aren't able to really tell how much they like it in comparison to us um but so like i I think i played this through at least twice and watched other people play it uh i liked the demo a whole lot and but when we talked about the demo on the podcast and i remember thinking like we talked about like things we liked about it and how like the main game might be and then my like cynical brain kept thinking like oh like i I bet the main game will like be more triple a and like do like you know just go in a completely different direction and like grow into something i don't like off of this you know and uh i was pleasantly surprised that that isn't the case um uh as i said i was i'm impressed and i'm impressed because of how like not triple a bloated this feels like it gets there a little bit at the end with the boat stuff that which we both didn't like um but like overall uh like i like that it's smaller scale i like that there really aren't that many enemies i like you know like it seems rare that you get a triple a like ip especially an ip that's this popular that releases a new game that's this like streamlined or like condensed or like smaller scale and it like (laughs) and not like an open world (laughs) like uh forest bullshit thing Mm -hmm. uh that doesn't fit at all but um so yeah really impressed Uh, i think i like a lot of the puzzles and the way that they integrated stuff from like the first three games into this and have like really imagined reimagined it in the style of like an outlast or more modern uh haunted house style uh horror games as we like to call them Mm -hmm. um remember to credit us anytime yeah credit (laughs) (laughs) um yeah and it just it feels really seamless like i don't want to like overstate it but like I feel like this game's, like, firing on all the cylinders I wanted it to. Like, I'm really surprised how well they've just gone back to the drawing board and, like, rebuilt Resident Evil as this incarnation. And I'm really looking forward to 8 because, from what I've seen, it looks like they're going to take what they established here and then build back in some of the more weird supernatural like resident evil 4 kind of feeling stuff back in and like that sounds really exciting to me mm-hmm. uh so i'm really looking forward to that and yeah just yeah very impressed very pleasantly uh surprised by how much i like this yeah I-, I was always under the impression that the reason that they gave this resident evil the subtitle biohazard was to sort of put it as a a restart for the series even if it is still numbered seven it also harks back to that and as like sort of a desire to go back to what made the original series work and i'm of the impression that there there cannot be a resident evil game that takes itself like completely seriously i think that overall this game does a better job of it than most um if i mean and it was the goal this time i think there's an argument to be made that there are several resident evil games that are Mm tongue-in-cheek and that was the point but this one feels very real like they really tried to to nail down the tone that they were going for and so 
the in in conclusion comma uh <laughs> this game is really short uh which is surprising for a triple a game um the the game itself is only like eight to ten hours uh depending on how you play the game uh i settled pretty comfortably in about an eight and a half nine hour kind of uh timeline and at least seven or eight of those hours are good uh i think that it 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 keeps it keeps evolving what it is that you are doing as you get more of an arsenal and are given different challenges to complete and it manages to stay interesting through the majority of its runtime and honestly like it's been a long time since i've played a survival horror that could do that and uh i'm i'm also very impressed i think this is a really good game and i think that it's a really good game for the resident evil franchise which had been sort of in a decline for a while people didn't take the game that people took the games less seriously than they took themselves uh which was hard to believe after resident evil uh five and six so yeah a uh, big fan hope that resident evil eight stays in a similar way but you know i guess we can potentially get back to you on that <laughs> yeah it does seem like it's kind of going for a similar structure at least this is all speculation mm-hmm. but like it seems like vampire lady has like an immediate family and like they're the antagonists mm-hmm. it's the way it reads so and they also up, and it's in a castle which is cool yeah and they yeah. eat people yeah. and they're doing a some bio yeah there's like a biohazard yeah. and like uh chris redfield will show up at the end <laughs> <laughs> Also, this game uses the word necrotoxin on more than one occasion, which is such a made-up word that it hurts me. But it's it's also very possible that it's a real word and that necrotoxin. Would hurt me more. Yeah. I mean, it makes sense, right? <laughs> sort of. As like a death toxin. Yeah, like it makes like undead, <laughs> like people come back to life. I mean, fair. That's the thing, I guess. I mean, totally. It's like total science fiction word, but right. like it it does technically like make sense for what it is. Mm-hmm. Can't wait for that part of the <laughs> epilogue of Resident Evil 8 where we get more Ooh, It science. gets to be a Bloodborne virus this time because there's vampires. Exactly. I'm excited for Bloodborne 2 coming out yeah. in May under the name Resident Evil Village. Village. Thank you for listening to this meaningless speculation and also no clip podcast this week. What are we talking about next time? What's your heart rate at, Andy? Well, let me put my thumb over the sensor. Okay, we're going to be talking about Ring Fit Adventure, uh, which rhymed with sensor. I like kind of the nice. rhythm that that had going. Uh, awesome! Oh! <laughs> Uh, so in case we haven't given you enough tonal whiplash over the last two weeks, we got, um, we got even worse coming up. Uh, until that time, you can get a hold of us. All of our contact information is on our website at noclippodcast.com or on splattershot.pro. Splatoon 3 got announced. Let's get excited. Use that URL. Uh, (laughs) uh, there you can find links to our discord our youtube all of our old episodes including episodes on resident evil 1 resident evil 7 beginning hour resident evil 4 we've talked about a lot of these games (laughs) 
Mm-hmm. Also uh, amnesia, I guess. Yeah. We're going to plug this into a, a playlist, in fact, on YouTube called Horror Games, uh, which you can peruse at probably in a couple months from now when they're more in season, but we wanted to talk about it now. Mm-hmm. It's our horror, and we want it now. <laughs> Fucking cure that like button (laughs) make the choice between curing the like or the subscribe button the subscribe button is mia click say that one so you can be notified of future videos (laughs) so that mia will still be alive to notify you Mm -hmm. of future videos (laughs) if you click subscribe we can welcome you to the family son (laughs) there it is that's much better perfect i got there (laughs) Welcome to Noclip, the podcast that's like a book club for people who don't think books books. exist. (laughs) I, uh, for some reason, wanted to say podcasts there, even though (laughs) it doesn't make any sense. Podcasts don't reward me enough for being good at them. (laughs) That's true. Maybe it's because we aren't good at them. (laughs)